right, so a uh, little stressful, huh? <laughs> that video is a little true to life, right? Uh, whew. Now we can take a breath because we're starting a new worship series today called Breathing Room. Let's all take a breath. <sighs> whew. Don't we all need that? Uh, I can relate to that video a little too much. Um, if you're visiting with us, we're really grateful that you're here today. It's a great time to uh, be visiting with us because we're starting a new series. It's a four-part series called Breathing Room. Something we all need in our lives is more room, more room to breathe. We're going to be talking about breathing room in our finances, uh, breathing room in our uh, relationships, and breathing room in our schedules. And uh, I know for myself, um, well, my family, it's kind of interesting. Maybe you guys can relate. There's some in our family growing up that were like real tidy type people, like they're always tidy and they enjoy cleaning and kind of everything neat, right? And then there's other people in my household growing up that just enjoyed clutter, you know, just stuff everywhere. They know where everything is. Don't bother them about it. It's just, this is, this is me. This is how it is, you know? So there's kind of really strongly one way or strongly the other way. So there's some interesting dynamics in my household growing up. And what happened to me is I got kind of the worst of both because I hate clutter, but I can't help but continually make it. You know, like I can't get rid of anything. Uh, it's so hard for me because I might need it later. And so then, so then I have all this stuff, way too much stuff, but I want that stuff to be organized and, and no clutter. So, and I'm a perfectionist, so then I'll spend all this time in this one little area of, of, of our domain, you know, like everything is organized, everything has its place. Okay, I want everybody to know this is where this goes, this is where this goes, this is where everything goes. And as I'm doing that, spending way too much on that, what happens to the rest of everything? Just go, <laughs> it goes to shambles, right? So I, I, I need this uh, just like you do, but uh, this, uh, this scripture Jesus said uh, in John 10, he said this, we're going to look into this a little more deeply in a minute, but he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I'm pretty sure what Jesus meant was not this, right? Uh, he probably didn't mean, you know, where you're so full, there's no margin, there's no room, and everything is unorganized. Now, you know, you might be, raise your hand if you're a little more of the neat freak, okay? It's okay, we like you, we, we appreciate you. Raise your hand if you're a little more of the clutter person. Okay, so we got about half and half. And uh, so some of you might look at that and go, you know, that is, that is hurting my eyes right now, you know? So, and some of you might look at that and go, what? I mean, that's, that's nice compared to my closet. You know, there's, there's actually room right there for stuff. And there are actually shelves, you know? So some of you are like, that's, that's not bad at all. So, so it's not, it's okay for your closet to look like that or the back of your car to look like that or your garage to look like that. It's not okay for your life to be like that, though. It's not okay for your finances to be like that. It's not okay for your relationships to be like that. So those are the things we're going to be talking about. Life is better with breathing room. That's the, the one takeaway I hope you have from this whole series is that, you know, this, it's better to have breathing room. God, God wants me to have breathing room in my life. God doesn't want me to, to be pushed to the limit. And breathing room, we're going to define as the space between our current pace and our limits. Because everything has a limit. There's only so much you can fit in a closet. There's only so much you can get done in your schedule. 
There's only so, you know, you can only be so many places at, at, at one time. You can, there's a limit. Everybody has a limit. You might, you might feel sometimes like, oh, I don't even have a limit. I'm limitless. Anybody seen that movie? Limitless. You know, he took that pill and he could do anything. You know, we, we all, we like that movie because we wish we could do that, right? But we all have limits. And so, so if you try to live life right at the edge of your limit, financially, relationship-wise, schedule-wise, it, it's not good for you. It's, it, you, you end up being stressed out. You end up hurting yourself. You end up hurting others. And your, your relationships suffer. You, you, you know, your life suffers. And, and so being a follower of Jesus, if you're, if you're busy with us and you don't know who Jesus is, you're not sure, whatever, that's fine. You're going to get a lot out of this. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is absolutely essential that you, you really take the series to think about what does Jesus want my life to look like? If he's Lord of my life, what does that mean? in my schedule, in my money, in my relationships. You know, that, that's, that's the way to approach this series is what is Jesus? If he's Lord, I, I said Jesus is Lord, just like Tyler did when she got baptized. Jesus is Lord of my life. So what should, that, what should those things look like? And uh, those of you who know me, as I'm kind of presenting this, you're like, boy, you need this, Brian. <laughs> so amen, I do. I need this series because I do try to, I try to push right to the limits on things. And my life is too chaotic sometimes, and, uh, you know, I kind of feel like I'm dragging my family through the chaos sometimes. I need to just, and I'm trying, I'm trying to repent in different areas. I finally threw a bunch of stuff away over the last year or so. I finally threw away. <laughs> Marco, 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 Marco knows that I'll take stuff, so he, he'll call me. Hey, I got something for you. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a, it's like he's my dealer. <laughs> I got some good stuff, Brian. You're going to love this stuff. I hate to throw it away. But, but God did bless me. The back of my house, uh, there's an alley, and it's a, it's a well-frequented alley by junk collectors. You know, guys come by with their truck full of stuff. So it's great because I can set something out there like I finally got rid of my computer. That was my very first computer <laughs> that I finally got rid of. <laughs> I still use it for some stuff. <laughs> so, so I put I put it out there in the alley, and it's gone within like 15 minutes. Just poof, it just goes away. So God bless me with an alley that takes care of stuff. But uh, but even this week it was kind of crazy because now we've got three kids in three schools. So we've got a fifth grader in elementary school, we got a seventh grader in middle school, and we got a freshman in high school. And so there are three different schools, three different places, three different times. You know, one, one's done at two, one's done at three, one's done a little after three. Then one's got to be at soccer at four, one's got to be at tennis at five, one's got to be at band at six, one's got to be picked up. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, ah! How many of you guys can relate, you guys that have kids? Okay. And you know what it is? It's like sometimes you have 45 minutes till you got to go pick somebody up. And you have about five things that you want to do, and they each take two hours. So it's like, which one do I start? And so then you're just like... Just don't do anything. <laughs> so I need this, just like you need this. Uh, but you know what? God wanted us to have breathing room. Believe it or not, God wants us to have breathing room. We're going to look way back in the Old Testament. So be turning in your Bibles over to the book of Leviticus. You might not even know that word. Leviticus. Uh, this is the law of, of God that he originally gave. And uh, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to dig into this, this verse here. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a good and loving God. Thank you that uh, you sent your son to show how much you love us, like we sang about. Uh, thank you to worship you and remember what you've done and to sing songs. Thank you for the way that music connects us emotionally to you. 
God, it's so good just to, to sing to you. Thank you for our worship team here and how they help lead us. And thank you for the hearts of the brothers and sisters here that want to sing. I know there's a lot of churches here that have great worship up front, but the people don't sing. And uh, thank you for just the opportunity to, to worship you. Uh, God, thank you as we open the word right now that your word is living and active and applicable. Even the book of Leviticus has really good stuff for us, even in our time and our generation. And I pray that you bless our, uh, our study of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So looking at Leviticus, uh, just a little background. Um, you know, God brought his people out of Egypt. Egypt was the greatest nation on earth at the time, most powerful nation. And God chose this family. He chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Jacob's son Joseph ends up in Egypt. And it's a great story. If you don't know that story, one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. He ends up down in Egypt, which is quite a ways from the Holy Land. So he ends up way down there in Egypt. And then his whole family comes to join him because of this horrible famine that's going on at the time. And they just end up staying there in Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And so then over time, 400 years goes by, and this people, this, this, this family becomes a whole nation. It becomes thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. But they're all enslaved by Egypt. Over time, Egypt says, hey, this is free labor. And so they make these people slaves. And so all the Israelites know, all they grew up with for hundreds of years is slavery. So they, they, they've just, all they know is this, you've got to work 24-7. You've got to work or, you're, or you die. Because if you're a slave and you're not working, you're not good for anything, right? So you just got to work, 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 work. There, it's a, the slave mentality. They had no personal ownership. They were owned by their masters. And they were, you know, they had very harsh masters in Egypt. And God did something amazing in that he brought a whole population of people out of the greatest country on earth, the most powerful military on earth, he brings this whole country out to a new land. And not only that, but they, it says they robbed, the Bible says they robbed the Egyptians. Every, every slave kind of asked the Egyptian they knew, hey, do you have anything I could, I could have or you know, any gift for me? You know, I've been serving you for a long time. And so they, it's, it, God made the Egyptians, uh, you know, favorable towards them at that moment. So they gave them all this stuff. And so then they leave Egypt with all of Egypt's stuff. And he, uh, Pharaoh tries to follow with his army, and, and the, the, the Red Sea closes in on him. It's amazing stuff, amazing story. Anyway, the reason I mention all that is because now you've got this whole population, a whole new nation that God is leading, and he's got to set them up for life now. All they've known is being slaves. And so now he's got to give them not only just a faith in him, but, but a law. Like, like for us, we have our faith, and then we have the government, and we have the, the system of... of, of uh, uh, of, of prosecution and, and, and the, the, the prisons and all that. So there's all that. We don't have to worry about that. We just worry about our faith. Then, but, but that wasn't the case for Israel. So in, in Leviticus, you're reading not only the spiritual laws, but also the civic laws. And just what kind of nation is this going to be? So, you, you know, you kind of you learn from both. But God gave them a few laws that showed that he wanted them to have breathing room. And one of the top ten, you know, the Ten Commandments is the Sabbath. What the Sabbath was was this rule, this law that God instituted that said every, out of the week, every, every seventh day, you need to take a dayeth offeth. Because he said it in Old English, right? Uh, you know, God, but isn't that amazing that God, when he's instituting his laws, when he's setting up his people, he says, I want this one of my top 10 laws is you take a day off once a week and you don't do any work. The sun goes down on Friday. You're not allowed to do any kind of work until the sun goes down on Saturday. So from Friday sunset 
to Saturday sunset, no work. That's pretty amazing that God is that kind of God that he wants us to have breathing room like that. That's hard for me to do. It's hard for me to not to just be working all the time because there's always something else to do. And so it, it, it convicts me that God wants, you know, I need room to breathe in my life and in my schedule. My body needs to recover. We need to, to take a day off of. Another thing he, he put into his law was the concept of a tithe. What, a tithe. So the idea is you take 10% and you set it aside. All your crops coming in, everything that you bring in, you set aside a tenth and you give that to God. And then they, get, they had other offerings and other things they would set aside. But it was the idea, and I'm not, not even talking about giving financially to the church right now. I'm just talking about the idea, the mindset of just because it comes in doesn't mean I spend it all immediately. Isn't that our, our culture? It's like, if I have $3, how can I spend $3? You know, like, there's just this, yeah, or three and a half, more like in our culture here. And so there, there's this idea of, no, set it aside. Only spend a portion of what you bring in. Only see and create breathing room. And then the, this last one, you've probably never heard of the law of gleaning. The law of gleaning. And this is a real interesting one. So this is the one that we're going to look at here in Luke 19. I'm going to throw it on screen. You might not be able to read it, though, so, so go ahead and turn there in your Bible, if you would. Luke 19, 9, the law of gleaning. So, so God says this, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your gra grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Like, just so you know, I'm the Lord. So do this. And it's an interesting law that God gave. You know, this is an agrarian society. So everything that, they, they're sustained by the land. They're sustained by the crops. And so there would, I mean, if this was you, wouldn't you have this mentality of I got to get as much out of it as possible? And yet God says, don't go all the way to the edge of your land. And you go one time through, harvest what, what they get, and then if they drop stuff or they don't get everything, just leave it. Leave it there. And that way if someone is poor or someone's a foreigner, they can go through and they can have some, you know, there's a little bit for other people to, to, to get from your land. And you're not just trying to get the most possible you can out of your land. Isn't that an interesting law that he gave his people? He says it again in, in Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law, uh, 40 years later. Uh, Moses gave them the law again, and this is, this is the version in, in Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy 24, 19, it says, When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in the bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. You know, you, you're bringing stuff in, and you, oh, I left one. He said, don't worry about it. Don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. I think that's a real interesting then, isn't it? Then God will bless you in what you do meaning you'll be more successful. Your crops will have yield more harvest. Things are going to go well. Then you'll be successful. If, why, what, what does that then mean? Why did God say then? What is, it, what is he talking about? Think about that for a minute. What does that then mean? I think, I don't know for sure, but I think he's saying if you have this kind of heart towards stuff, if you're not so consumed with, I've got to get every little bit, if you trust me, God is asking us to trust him. It's kind of like this mentality of, okay, you mean so if I don't do all that I could do, but I, I save a little bit, you're going to make up the difference, God? And God's saying, yeah, that's what I mean. Trust me. Do, do what you can and, and leave room in that space 
That's where God is. In that breathing room space, that's where God is. God makes up the difference. We do what we can. We do what he calls us to do. And he, he is able to make up the difference. He's able to do way beyond anything we could do anyway, right? He's the creator of the universe. You know, an analogy I thought of is uh, my daughter had, if you notice I was tired last Sunday, it's because we had nine girls sleep over on Saturday night last weekend. Uh, my, my daughter had her 10th birthday. We did a, a big sleepover last Saturday night. And uh, they wanted to do a piñata. And, you know, these are, uh, you know, these are nine, ten-year-old girls. And so, you know, they're a little bit about the same level of skill. But typically, you know, the piñata at birthday parties, you know, you have kind of a range of kids, right? You have like the three-year-old and the four-year-old and then the seven-year-old. And then there's the 12-year-old. He's just waiting, you know. <laughs> Put me in. Uh, but what happens when the piñata breaks? What happens at that moment? All the kids, ah! And you know, and parents were like, wait, you're grabbing that stick so nobody gets hit by the stick. Wait, 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 wait. And they're all rushing. You can't stop them. And once that candy starts falling, they're all rushing it. And they're all stressed out and they're all grabbing, ah, elbowing each other. Ah, candy, candy, candy. And there's that mentality of, I, I, I got to get more. She's got more than me. Ah, I got to get more. He's got more than me. And then there's always some kid that's just kind of slow on the, oh, 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 no. And you know, they're late. And all the candy. And they got their bag, they got like three pieces of candy, and they're like, <laughs> But as a parent, what are you feeling in that moment? What are you doing in that moment? It's like, it's like, don't worry, I got bags of it back there. <laughs> I got bags and bags. I filled the piñata, but I got bags more candy. I got you covered. And so the kid is just trying to, you know, the bag is this full, trying to get more in, more in, more in. You know, it's like, why are you so stressed out? I feel like that's how God feels about us and our lives. You know, elbow another, I gotta get out, I gotta get more, I gotta get more. And God's like, I got bags of candy. Why are you so stressed out? Why are you trying to fill that, you know, stretch the plastic on that bag with as much candy as possible? You know, I got you covered. That's how God must think sometimes. He has got us figured out. And so he wants us to have breathing room for our own good. You know, you don't want to live like that kid. <laughs> it's like trying to get every little bit. He wants us to relax and be at peace. And trust him. He wants us to have breathing room. Because when there is no breathing room, just a few practical things. When there is no breathing room, what happens? The stress levels go up. We've all been there. You know, the, the clock is going faster and faster and traffic is going slower and slower. And, you know, you realize you thought you might make it. And then, oh, now I'm not going to make it. Now I'm even more late. Now I'm even more late. You know, and just stress and tension. My wife was on the freeway last week trying to get up to UCLA Medical Center in horrible traffic and, and, and she, just the tension. She got home and she was just in tons of pain because her back, of the tension in her back on the way up to UCLA, you know. Uh, we all been there, the stress level, the stress hormones. God designed stress hormones to be a part of your system so that it's the, the, the flight or fight or flight response. You know, if, the, if, you're, if you're a caveman and you see a saber-toothed tiger, you, suddenly you're stressed. And that's a good thing. So you can either run really fast or fight, you know, get that spear and, and do a really good job with your spear. So you have the flight or fight response. That's a good thing. Stress hormones are good in a stressful momentary situation. But if you're living like that, you can't do that. It, it reminds me of like when I was in college, I had, there was a friend of mine that had piranhas and, uh, in, in, his, in his tank. And, uh, you know, he would feed them goldfish. And I tell you what, I don't know how much goldfish think or feel, 
but that was one stressed goldfish because a, a lot of times they wouldn't eat them right away. The goldfish is just swimming around. And the piranhas are just, yeah, yeah. But that's the way we live sometimes. Like that goldfish just, ah, ah, ah. And God doesn't want us to live that way with stress. The hormones will actually cause cancer and horrible things to your body. Your focus narrows when there's no breathing room. And you might say, well, focus, that's good, right? It's good for, for a moment. But what I mean by this is like, for example, as I'm walking around here, I'm not really thinking about the edge of this, this precipice here. But if I get right here and I'm talking and I'm sharing right on the edge, you know, I'm making you nervous. And all I can think about is, okay, I'm right there. You know, it narrows my focus. I can't think about anything else except just right there. And so what happens is everything else can kind of, you lose focus on what is really important because you're right at the limit. If, there's, if you got a good margin four feet, five feet away, no stress. You know, you can kind of see the big picture in your life. But when you get right to the edge, you can't think about anything else. You're just stressed out about like, you know, th this is like with money, you know, that you get totally focused on that one thing with money that's all right there. All your focus is right there or, or with a relationship or with a, uh, something in your schedule or whatever. So that's not good for you. Your relationships suffer when there's no breathing room. And we end up, strangely enough, focusing on things that don't really bring us joy anyway. What makes life the most enjoyable are relationships. And you can uh, measure your happiness in life by the health of your relationships. They've, they've done studies on this. That you can measure someone's happiness by the quality of their relationships and not prosperity. Uh, not progress. And yet those are the things we... We can get so focused on prosperity and, and progress that our relationships suffer. And so we're robbing ourselves of the things that really matter. And so, so that's why it's so important that we have, have breathing room. Uh, there was a, uh, a study done, and I, I shared this at the beginning of 2014 with, with you guys, but I thought I'd share it again uh, just in this context of the top five regrets of the dying. This was done by hospice workers. And uh, what, are the, what do people say on their deathbeds? What are the things they regret the most? Number one thing was, I wish I had courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And other, what that says to me is, I, you know, I wish I hadn't been so concerned with, with keeping up with everybody all around me. But just, you know, live the life that I should have lived. Number two, and this was every man, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Work is good. God wants us to work. That's in his law as well. But God wants us to take a day off. God wants us to have breathing room. God doesn't want us to be like when we're at work, we're, we're missing out on home. And when we're at home, we're thinking about work. And, you know, he wants us to focus on what we need to focus on at the moment. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Number five, I wish I'd let myself be happier. God doesn't want us to end up with these regrets. And putting breathing room into our life, our schedule, our relationships, our finances, that takes care of all these things. If we trust God and we put him first and we, and we allow breathing room. So why do we do this? You know, why do we, uh, why do, we do this? Why do we, why do we allow ourselves to get stressed out so much? We're going to be turning over to uh, John 10, if you want to go ahead and be turning over there. We're going to do a little bit of extended reading in John 10. Why do we do this? You know, somebody might say, well, I, I, uh, it's just the industry I'm in. You know, it's just the nature of this industry. It's high stress. It's, it's high stakes. It's just that's the nature of the industry I am. Well, and that's true. There are industries like that. But I've got to believe God wants you to 
be different. Uh, you might say, well, it's just a season in life. It's just the season I'm in. And I, I, you know, I can relate to that. You know, my, my kids, the ages there are, it's just a season in life. But, but there's still something, there's something deeper. Uh, you might say, well, I just lack discipline. Let <laughs> me just be honest. I just lack discipline, so I do this to myself. Amen, I can relate to that. But I think a, a deep issue of why we do this is fear. Amen. It's fear. It's because we're afraid. I, I, why do you push? What, why do you, if you ask the question, why do you have to be right at the edge financially? Why do you have to be right at the edge on your schedule? Why do you have to be right on the edge? A, a lot of times I'm afraid. I'm afraid of missing out. I'm afraid of, of, of falling behind. And it's funny because what does that even mean? Falling behind who? But that's our fear, right? Uh, there's a fear of, and a lot of the guys can relate to this. Uh, I'm afraid of not mattering. I'm afraid of my life not counting. I'm afraid that what I do is not going to matter. And so that's why I'm just always pushing right to the edge. And so that's, it's great if you can identify that because that's what the whole Bible is about. It's about the, the choice between fear or faith. And God takes our fears and he says, trust me and have faith. And then he takes care of us. It, it, it's what allows us to really confront those fears. If you don't have God, if you don't have a relationship with God, I don't even know how you do this. I don't even know how you have breathing room. Because the, the way that you get there is by choosing to have faith and depending on God. And like I said, not going right to the edge because you trust he's going to make up the difference. So back to the, the scripture I showed at the beginning uh, of, where, where Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I want to read, uh, read this, this scripture and then talk about it a little bit. So we're going to start in verse 10. That's on the screen, but we're going to go a little bit farther if you can read along in your Bible. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. Talking about the Gentiles or aliens. One of the two. They too. <laughs> Some people think aliens. They too will listen to my voice and there should be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the command I received from my father. Now, this is interesting. This, we're not going to talk too much about this, but look at the response. Verse 19. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You know, you're going to have one of two responses to Jesus when you really get into his teachings. This is crazy or, wow, this is what I need. And, and, and there might be things you don't understand. I like their rationale. They're like, yeah, I don't really understand what he's saying, but there's a guy that was blind and now he can see. I don't really understand exactly what he's talking about, the shepherd thing, but look at the results. And so, there, you know, in our fellowship, there are a lot of people who are blind and can now see. I mean, we're all, if you're visiting with us, we're all a mess. Uh, we come from broken families. We come from broken homes. We come from a lot of garbage. We're not just a bunch of, you know, we grew up super religious people. There's some of us that were religious, but I mean, we're all kind of, a, and even the religious ones, we're even more of a mess. So, uh, so we're blind. We can see, and God is doing miracles among us. 
we don't always understand what he's doing. We all don't always understand even what he had to say, but we know, okay, he's got the answer. And so I'm not going anywhere. So if you feel like something you hear here is somebody possessed by a demon that's raving mad, well, they thought that about Jesus too. But just stick around and see what, what he's doing. And he back, backing up in verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know, sometimes you think, Satan makes you think, God is trying to take something from you. God doesn't want you to have, just, that's all the way back to the beginning. Oh, he doesn't want you to have knowledge. He doesn't want you to be like him. Eve, he's trying to keep something from you. You can have all the trees in the garden, but this one, he's trying to keep something from you. And that's just, it's of Satan. It's not true. He wants to give you life to the full. He wants your life to really matter. Who is it that wants to steal something from you? The thief. Satan. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. He does want to take something from you. And boy, doesn't he use messengers of the world around us? You don't have, you don't have, you need this, you need that. You've got to have this, you've got to have this kind of aftershave. Because then you'll get all the ladies. You know, just every message is you've got to have, you've got to have, you've got to drink Dos Equis. So your life can be like the most interesting man in the world, you know. You need more, you need more. That's it's just this constant message that you don't have what you need. And it's just not true. And yet Jesus says he is the good shepherd. He's, Jesus came to show us God. He's God in the flesh. And so when he said he was the good shepherd, I really believe they were thinking, the, the ones that were, knew the, the Bible, they were thinking of this passage uh, that you've heard before. Even if you've never read the Bible, you've probably heard this. You've probably heard the King James translation, the Old English translation at a funeral or something. But this is a song David wrote a thousand years before Jesus. And I just want to read it and just think about who God is in our lives. Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. And again, David was a shepherd, so he's writing a song. He's thinking about his own life as a shepherd. He's thinking, you know what? God is my shepherd. I have all I need. Just like I'm taking care of these sheep, God gives me everything I need. I don't have to get this. I don't have to get that. I don't have to get this. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. There's breathing room in my life. Doesn't that sound good? Can you picture that? Ah, green meadows, peaceful streams. Henry and Lana, you just came from somewhere like this, right? They go out somewhere where there's meadows and streams just to be with God for a week or two and just, ah, we need that. He renews my strength. Uh, sorry. Uh, he guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. There will be hard times in life. There will be times where I'm scared. There will be times where I don't know what he's doing, but I'm not going to be afraid because you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The rod and staff, those represent boundaries. Those represent discipline. But David had a great view. God's boundaries are there for my benefit. You know what? I, I'm so grateful for these boundaries. I'm so grateful God wants the best for me. I mean... I mean, I, I, there's all kinds of different examples, but one, I, I became a Christian as a teenager, and, and I'm grateful to be working with the teens right now. And, and, and so my wife and I, we, when I became a Christian, I, I, I was pure. Uh, I, I mean, I had impurities, but I, I'd never slept with anybody. And so I became a disciple, and then I, I, I had a dating relationship in the church, and so my wife and I dated for three years, and we were pure. So for both of us, we're the only person we've ever been with. And so after 21 years of marriage, I can tell you I'm so grateful for that boundary because it's only her. And we've grown together. And, and, and that is God's plan, teens. 
And it's amazing. There is not one day in my life I ever go, oh, I wish I would have had experimented around. I wish I would have tried different partners. I wish I would have tried homosexuality a little bit just to see. I wish I would have, wish I would have, because, you know, so then I, man, I don't wish that at all. Because I'm so, I'm so satisfied in my marriage and I'm so grateful. And so, you know, it's God's plan works. He wasn't trying to keep something from me. His boundary was for my benefit. And I want the same thing for my kids. And everybody here, you know, if you're a grown up and you've been through all that, you know, you, you, you're giving me some amens right now in your heart. If you, if you did have a real promise, a background of promiscuity, God can heal anybody wherever they're at. I'm not sharing that to say, oh, I'm so great. I was wicked. It was only by God's mercy. But, but, but God, you want that for your kids, don't you? I mean, that, that's God's plan. Uh, you prepare a feast for me, verse 5, in the presence of my enemies. So the enemy's right there, and I'm just eating. You know, <laughs> that's what God wants. He wants you to have a blast spiritually and keep the enemies right, right at bay. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is a good shepherd, just like this verse. That's who Jesus is. He wants us to have life and have it to the full. When he was saying that in John 10, I got to believe this was going through Jesus' mind. I'm the good shepherd. I bring them life and life to the full. I want them to have breathing room. This is who God is in your life. Let's look at one more verse uh, of Jesus' teachings. And I'm going to have to move through this pretty quickly because I'm a little behind. So I need more breathing room in my lessons, Henry. Uh, Matthew 6. So Matthew, Matthew 6, I'll just put it on the screen, and I'm going to give you homework, is read Matthew 6 on your own, okay? Read Matthew 6 on your own, verse 24 through the end, because he talks exactly about breathing room. And he's saying you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve money, because money's telling you one thing and God's telling you something else. So you've got to pick, you've got to choose, you've got to see who you're going to listen to. And he closes out here in Matthew 6, verse 31, saying, don't worry about these things, all the things people stress about. Saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Isn't that true? Okay, you know, all the, all the stuff we're talking about, that dominates the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. He's got your bag of candy. And he's, I got you, I got you covered. I know what you need. Don't worry, don't stress. Allow breathing room in your life. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. If you just trust him, if you just make him your Lord, if you just submit to his sovereignty, he will take care of you. This is a promise you need to circle in your Bible of God. He will give me everything I need if I put him first. It's a promise. And everybody here can do that. There's not one person here that can't make a decision today. I'm going to seek God and his kingdom above all else. Now, if you're visiting with us, you might not know what is the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God more than any other topic. And so we would love to show you more about the kingdom of God and get together and study the Bible with you and show you all these things Jesus said about the kingdom. It's amazing. But the short answer is the kingdom on earth is represented by us, by his people, by the church. Seeking first the church, seeking first relationships, seeking first a connection to him and living righteously. If you put that first, it's a promise that it's all going to work out. And, uh, you know, if you're visiting with us, I just encourage you to, 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 and Marco will talk a little bit more about what we have going on, but I encourage you just to take the next step towards figuring out what is the kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus today, if you made Jesus Lord, if you're a disciple, I'm following Jesus, I'm trying to live like him. Do you need to repent of seeking first the kingdom? I would guess that there are a lot of us that need to repent. 
We made Jesus Lord, but then these other things, you know, Jesus told the parable about the, the, the getting choked, right? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires of other things choke us. So we're always going to be fighting those weeds. And, and what gets us back on track is making this decision. I'm going to seek the kingdom of God above all else, verse 33. Make that decision today and with this series, this four-week this four series, that okay, this is going to be an opportunity for me to put the kingdom back in my life where it needs to be because I need to repent. I need to seek first the kingdom. And, and if you don't know, then open your schedule. Open your pocketbook. Open your, your, you know, your, your budget. Open your, you know, think about your life. Would God say, would Jesus say, oh, yeah, that person is seeking first the kingdom? Or would he say, well, you know, God knows. It's not, nobody's, nobody's going to check up on you. It's, this is between you and God, but it's for your own benefit. That's what I'm trying to say. He's a good shepherd. He's not saying, seek first the kingdom because I want, I want, I want, I want. God's not that. He's going, I got you covered. I got your candy. I just stop stressing out. Seek the kingdom first. He's, he's got he's it in, in control. So sometimes stories help us, you know, seeing it in, in real life. And so I want to show us a, a video here to close out. And uh, we, if you're visiting with us, as was shared, we're connected to churches all over the world. And uh, so we have our congregation has churches all over the world. And so we're trying to do a better job of letting you know what's going on around the world. So we're going to be showing more videos uh, of, of just things happening in our, in our churches around the world. So this is a video. Uh, from Trichy, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, Trichy, Trichy, India, uh, the, the church there, just a story, a kind of slice of life. It's kind of cool because we've got some of our, our fellowship that's going to be going to India in a short time. Three teens, a grown-up and a single, are going to go to India to serve. Uh, but, but this is, I think, a, a flesh-and-blood story of a guy that it, it made the decision, okay, I, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to seek first the kingdom. And then you're just going to see how God really blessed it. So I'm going to go ahead and exit the stage. We're going to play this video and then think about your own life and decisions you're going to make. If you're visiting with us, please come back uh, for the next uh, three weeks of this series. And uh, so let's, let's watch this video. Hi, my name is Andrew, and this is my wife, Rachel. I became a disciple in the year 1990 in Bangalore. And ever since, I desired to serve God and God's church. Through the years, God used both of us to serve in mission teams in Sri Lanka, in Goa, help build a church in Bangalore, in Chennai, and in the church in Hyderabad. We served for over 13 years and then we felt tired. We were getting burnt out. In the year 2003, we thought we wanted to step out of the ministry, but still support the church. So we knew there was a church in Trichy, which was started by another couple years ago. So we thought it would be a good place to come back to our hometown and help support lead the church. We moved to Trichy, and in the year 2007, we had in our heart to support the leaders here so I needed a job so we can support ourselves as we help build this church here. In order to be self-supporting, I joined with my family business. We ran small quarry for the last 30 years. I saw a great opportunity to make this company do better. So I took the risk of expanding our business. I would spend over 60 hours a week and put in all my resources 
I would come back tired and discouraged. The only encouragement would be when I spend time with Christians or when I get to teach the Bible to somebody. When we moved here, we had many struggles and we saw that the church was lacking faith. I saw them having difficulty in having a good relationship with one another. Some of them even struggled to say hello to each other. And they thought, what's the point in bringing somebody to the church when they were hurting this way? When we saw the church struggling at 50 disciples for the last 10 years, we knew that the disciples had not understood the clear purpose. We went back to the basics. We taught them about discipleship all over again. We called every disciple to be committed. We encouraged every Christian in the church to study the Bible with their friends. We decided that we will pray to God that God will give us the heart to love just one more person, just one more soul, so that we will be able to help one more person become a disciple. And that motivated and helped people to really see what God can do. As the time went, people started healing. They started studying the Bible. And they saw that God worked through them. And many people started becoming disciples. When the disciples saw this, they were renewed in their faith. The same leaders who were in the church for over 10 years now were radiant, were fruitful, and were responsible for the future growth of the church. நீங்களும் <laughs> <laughs> Looking back in the last few years, it's amazing what God has done. In the last three years, we have grown from 50 disciples to 100 disciples. And my business, God has blessed my work. We're so happy to know that we were the largest company of this kind in all of Trichy. I want to share about the Women's Day we had. All the women came together and we said we will have an attendance of more than 200. We were 40 women then, and we saw a wonderful Women's Day, more than 300 attended. We know for a fact, when you focus on building the church, God takes care of your life as well. To God be the glory. Amen.